0: Hello STEM Nation, Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 64 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest Daniel, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Daniel earned a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from McAllister College and a Master's in Computer Science from the University of Minnesota and has had multiple software engineering roles. He is currently a Principal Software Engineer at SciTail. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life.
1: Oh, no, that's a, a, a perfect description. It makes it sound really easy. And I work remotely for this company called Cytel, which is based out in the Bay Area in California.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Daniel. And let's take it right in here. So you, you've got a computer science degree. You've got a master's in computer science. Could you, right off the bat, differentiate between computer science and computer engineering and what the differences are between those two degrees?
1: I'll even make it a little more complicated than that, uh, because there's also software engineering, and there's also a lot of people in uh, different areas writing code that uh, don't have degrees in any of those things but they're doing the work anyway computer engineering is typically a mix of electrical engineering and computer science classes so you learn to program really well and you also learn some electronics some analog electronics and digital electronics more um, processor design system design system architecture computer science is really focused on the software computer science is really focused on algorithms on programming, on uh, making code that works really well, reliability, uh, security, uh, those kinds of aspects of software and very little hardware. I did have to take, I think, one electronics class along the way, but uh, in in general, you you don't have to do much or any at at the hardware level. There's also software engineering, which is sort of a different field, which is really based on, uh, it comes out of business and that's more about the craft of building software systems efficiently and using the right programming languages, the right databases, the right frameworks, the right tools uh, to make software efficiently. Um, And that's more uh, targeted at people who are in the industry and not as much of an academic subject. Uh, But it's probably the most useful if you're doing what I'm doing, which is writing software for a business and trying to sell
0: it. So Daniel, why, why did you go for computer science over computer engineering or, or software engineering? Why computer science for you?
1: Uh, well, let's back up a couple of steps and go back to high school, uh, which is where I started to, to think through all these decisions. Uh, in high school, I went to a, a huge urban public high school and I did not get a lot of math and science education there. I'm sure if I was really on the ball and had known exactly which classes to take and which teachers to take them from, I probably would have gotten a good math and science education, but I wasn't, uh, I certainly was not on the ball enough in high school. Uh, so then when I was applying to colleges, I um, I got into a number of uh, engineering schools. I got into um, Washington University, I remember, and University of Washington, and I, I was sort of thinking through it and looking through the courses I would have to take and, and realizing that I probably wasn't going to pass those courses or at least do well enough in those courses to um get an engineering degree from those huge universities. Uh, so what they decided to do um, was go to a liberal arts college, which was Macalester College. And the reason I decided on Macalester College is because they had a computer science program. They didn't have a software engineering program, and they didn't have a computer engineering program. They didn't actually have any uh, engineering uh, programs at all. It's not an engineering school. They just had this uh, unusual computer science program with um, four computer science professors at about... 20 or 30 students each year studying computer science. Again, the reason I decided on that was, was fairly straightforward. I didn't think, think I would pass um, engineering programs at a real engineering school uh, right out of high school. I could have gone to community college, and that probably would have been a wise choice for me, but I didn't. Uh, I knew plenty of people who did go to community college for a year or two to polish up their math and science credits and get good grades and learn uh, math and science fundamentals, but uh, I did not do that.
0: So, Daniel, do you not have to take calculus and physics in the computer science programs, or does it depend upon the colleges?
1: No, I had to take physics one and physics two, calculus one, calculus two, calculus three. But overall, the course load at uh, at the liberal arts school was a lot more varied. So I was usually taking one or two classes in math and science at a time and one or two liberal arts classes, And because it, it was just a slower pace with less Focus on the major itself. I, I was able to get through it and catch up on the calculus that I really did not learn in high school.
0: So, was there any any difference between you know when you graduated from I'll say a liberal arts college with computer science versus going to a large school that had computer science that it sounds like you had a pretty good you know teacher to student ratio you know only thirty students and a couple of professors so you probably got pretty good attention from the professors if you had problems you can go get those answered very easily.
1: Yeah, I loved the professors. They were all excellent. They were all really focused on teaching. Uh, They all really cared about their students. Um, The downside of of the program at that time, and I I think things have changed a little bit, I I don't know if this applies today, is that it was really hard for me to get a job graduating uh, with a a computer science degree from a liberal arts college. And most of my peers uh, didn't get software engineering jobs right away. Uh, and I think if I had gone to a big university with an engineering program uh, that, uh, you know, employers recruit out of that has some kind of reputation as an engineering school, it would have been much easier for me to get a job uh,
0: out of college. Okay, that that's good insight, Daniel. Thanks for bringing that out. So, you know, STEM Nation, take a look at the, the, the college that you're going to, um, you know, and take some of Daniel's advice and, and take a look at what the placement is from the college and, and make sure that's the right college for you or... You know, if after your your bachelor's degree, if you want to go on and get your master's degree, that might be a path as well. Um, You know, Daniel, you've got your master's degree in computer science. Did you go right on to your master's after your undergrad?
1: Yeah, I did. So so what I did is I applied to a bunch of jobs when I was graduating from college. This was 2006. And I didn't get any good offers. Uh, I think I did get some offers that were more in like an IT support role, uh, system administration, uh, tech support. That was really not what I wanted to do. And I uh, i was worried that if I went into those kinds of things, I would get pigeonholed and have a really hard time uh, rising up into a software engineering role. I'm not sure if that was true or not, uh, but that's how I felt at the time. Uh, but I did apply to a bunch of graduate programs and uh, I got into uh, University of Minnesota as actually as a PhD student. As a PhD student, Basically, you are working half time for the university, so twenty hours a week working for the university, and then taking classes half time, and that's exactly what I did. They they offered me a pretty good stipend uh, to go uh, straight to grad school. Uh, it was actually a similar amount of money to what I would make if I'd taken one of those IT jobs, maybe a
0: little less. It Daniel, I just want to go into that. So, could you explain to STEM Nation what that really means? So, you were getting a, a stipend to go to college. So, you were essentially getting paid to go to college? So your college was essentially free for your master's?
1: So University of Minnesota is like a lot of big engineering colleges. The professors can't do all the work because there just aren't enough professors for the number of undergraduate students. So the way they solve that problem is by having PhD students who are actually paid to teach classes and do research and do things like make copies and make coffee for the professors while studying half time, working on their PhDs, so I was taking classes, uh, typically two or three classes at a time, and then working half time for a professor in the computer science department. And I was getting paid to do that. I was getting paid a, a reasonable stipend, uh, certainly very good for half time, not very good for full time. And it seemed like a, a an obvious option since the job offers I got weren't so great.
0: Okay, Daniel. So, so thanks for the that insight. That's great insights. Uh, you know, so STEM Nation. If if, if that's a path that you want to pursue, um, if you want to go look at a a post undergraduate, so a master's or PhD path, you know, go look for the the approach of getting a stipend and getting your college paid for. So, and, and Daniel. So we're gonna move on here a little bit. So from a software, uh, a computer science degree what type of positions are available out there compared to let's say computer engineering where you've got some of the hardware background when you're just straight pure software what do you what kind of jobs are out there
1: so there are a million jobs in software engineering it's actually if you look at um the department of labor's categorization of of job titles software engineering is one of the most common job titles in the entire country right now now most software engineers actually don't have a computer science undergraduate or graduate degree. They, they mostly came into it uh, by working in the field and, and learning it as they went. Uh, and they're they're doing things like line of business applications for big companies, internal applications, uh, websites that need some software behind them, apps, uh, games, that kind of thing. Most of those people don't have any kind of degree in the field at all. And they just learned by doing, and they, they probably started started at a, a very entry-level position and and learned as they went. If you do have the computer science degree, it opens up some more options. It opens up working at places like software vendors, which is actually where I've always worked. Uh, Companies that are, uh, all they do is make and sell software. They would generally want uh, some kind of computer science degree, although not always. I did work with people who were uh, just as high up in the organization as me, who didn't even have college degrees at all. But that was, that was pretty rare. They had to be pretty extraordinary. And most people at the software vendors would have a computer science degree.
0: Let's get very specific here. And what is one thing that really has you fired up today?
1: What has me fired up today is working on computer security, because it's an enormous challenge right now. Everyone, There's a new hack in the news almost every day. Uh, we, we hear about uh, attackers all the time. We hear about people breaking into computer systems all the time. And what I'm doing is working on security systems uh, for this startup that I hope will be very successful at preventing attackers from getting inside a business's computer networks. And I'm sure they won't be perfect. I'm sure people will come up with attacks against our system, but I think it will uh, prevent a, a large fraction of the, the possible attacks against computer networks. And that's incredibly exciting. And am working with people from Google, people from Microsoft, and working with some of the largest companies in the country that need secure systems you can start guessing what those companies would be and I'm working with them every day to try to build the software that makes networks extremely secure and I don't know if we'll be successful and even if we are successful like I said I'm sure someone will figure out how to break our encryption eventually but it will be a massive improvement if we can get it to work and that's what I'm really excited about.
0: Yeah, Daniel, I mean, security shows up everywhere. If you go back to episode number 58 with Valerie Seidel, you know, she's in the security um, space as well. And, and that's on the forefront of almost every company's mind. Well, probably every company's mind because of the security risks. And Daniel, we're going to move on to an aha moment. Could you take us to a moment in time of incredible aha moment you've had and tell us a story and how you turned that into success?
1: I was in grad school. I was working really hard. I was studying really hard. I was around a lot of other grad students. Most of those grad students were in a different place from me. They, they had more work experience. They knew where they were going with their careers a little bit more than me. So what I started doing, and this was maybe the smartest thing I've, I've done in my career so far, is I started trying to find opportunities to meet with professionals outside school. I went to meetup groups. I went to every free conference in the Minneapolis area. I went to every event, every startup demo event, every party. I bought people a ton of cups of coffee. I probably spent hundreds of dollars buying people coffee. Uh, and that was, what, that was the time in my career when I really found out what options were available and met other people who were like me, who were really ambitious and wanted to change the world and didn't really know how to do it. Since then, I've really put enormous importance on building out a strong network and being in touch with lots of people in my area, in my field, who I can call on for advice who call on me for advice, who I can maybe rely on to help me get a job in the future, and that's been—it's uh, been probably one of the most valuable things I've done with my career so far.
0: Yeah, Daniel, I'll say—you know—the network. You know, you brought it up, STEM Nation. Listen to what Daniel's saying about the network. He went out and networked. He goes to, to to startup meetings meetups around the city to meet other people to find out what kind of job opportunities are out there. And if you go to the show notes, STEM Nation, Daniel Feldman's link to LinkedIn will be there. And you can connect with him and strike a conversation with him and ask him for his advice. Or if he knows somebody in the industry doing something like you might want to do and and start building out your network. So, so thanks for that, Daniel. In order to get through college, right? It's challenging, Daniel, right? You said it, You, you, the school that you went to in high school maybe didn't prepare you well enough that where you thought you could get through all the calculus classes in a, in a big, uh, big college, so you ended up going to a liberal arts college. But if you could go back to when you're 18, knowing what you know now, what are some things that you wish you knew that would help our STEMers get through college successfully?
1: For me, and I, I, this certainly doesn't apply to everyone, but for me, I had a really low opinion of my own possibilities at, at success in STEM. I, I was overly pessimistic about my career possibilities in STEM. And I think some of that came from high school, from realizing that we were only doing about the first two chapters of the calculus textbook in high school calculus. And uh, I wasn't getting prepared for a STEM career. So repeatedly in my career, I realized that I was already doing things that were really cool, that were really impressive, and I wasn't giving myself very much credit for them. So as an example, in college, I uh, found a friend who was trying to start a company, and they actually paid me uh, a pretty good amount of money to write Python code for uh, a web-based application. Um, It would actually uh, do some stuff with bus schedules, believe it or not. And I found this guy pretty randomly, and they um, while everyone else in college was working in the library or the cafeteria, I was sitting around with my laptop, uh, trying to make this Python program that would uh, manipulate bus schedules really well. And I worked really hard at it and got paid a pretty good amount of money. And uh, eventually they they moved on. they they found professionals to do that same work. But if I had been a little smarter, I probably could have turned that into a business while I was in college. And uh, now I know people who started doing uh, software contracting in college and and just kept with it and built up pretty good software contracting businesses. So I persistently underestimated my own abilities uh, and overestimated the chances that I would fail at things. And if I could go back to my 18-year-old self, I would say, you know, you're not the smartest kid in every class, but you're pretty good. And in STEM, you don't have to be the very smartest, you just have to be pretty good for a long time and be really persistent and keep up with it and you'll be successful. Uh, You're not trying to be a rock star. you don't have to be the absolute best at everything, you just have to be pretty good at a bunch of things and money isn't going to be a problem and uh, career success isn't going to be a
0: problem. All right, Daniel, thanks for that advice. And we're going to take a quick pause for our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. You can head over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing. If you decide to cancel within 30 days, there's no cost, and you keep the audiobook. And Daniel, it's lightning round time. Are you ready? Sure. Go for it. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, It's very simple. This actually came from my mentor at one of my college internships, and it's just Ask a lot of questions and be really interested in what other people have to say, and you'll learn a lot from them. And don't necessarily talk about yourself too much. Start conversations with other people and then ask ask them questions and find out what they're interested in.
0: And a personal habit that contributes to your success. Sure. I am really
1: stubborn. And... That has been both a good thing and a bad thing. In some cases, I've stuck with projects that weren't working for a very long time, and I probably should have quit earlier, but it's also led to me uh, making it through college and grad school and a bunch of jobs that were extremely stressful until I'm in a place where I have pretty good discretion over what i am working on and pretty good autonomy. And that, that wouldn't have happened unless I was really, really, really stubborn and perseverant.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Daniel. And Daniel's provided tons of advice and recommendations, but Daniel, we're going to ask for one more. As we depart here, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation? And then we'll say goodbye.
1: Sure. So getting into STEM is a career goal for a lot of people. And when you talk to to people who are younger, you you hear a lot of different career goals. You hear people who want to be uh, actors and uh, rock musicians, artists, politicians, STEM is a little different because it's very reasonable. You don't have to be incredibly lucky. You just have to work hard for a long time. And if you work hard for a long time, you will be successful at it. Uh, Unlike many other jobs uh, where you really have to be fantastically lucky to, to get those dream
0: jobs. All right, Daniel, thanks for that. And with that, we will say goodbye. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Thank you, Daniel. And I hope you enjoyed our chat today with Daniel. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player and share with a friend. Tune in next week where we talk with Aaron, who is a systems test manager. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.